Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Crucial Talks podcast. I'm your host, Mike Sedan. Last week, we discussed the first pillar of the Crucial Talks podcast. We talked about how individuals make decisions and how they behave based on the roles they adopt and how important those roles are to them given a particular set of circumstances. Basically, the role that's important to them at the time is how they're going to make a decision. It's how we make decisions. In today's episode, we're going to discuss the next pillar of the Crucial Talks podcast, group behavior. In-group and out-group behavior is an important concept. Let me explain by telling you a little story about what happened to me. Just last week, I was in a meeting where we were discussing a pretty important issue. There were a lot of people in the room. I had made a pretty big mistake, and I was sitting there ready to take full responsibility. At the time, I felt like part of a larger group. I felt like we were a team focused on reaching the same goal. As the discussion continued, the focus shifted onto me. It became negative, and it became the name, blame, and shame game. I felt myself getting defensive. I actually felt myself going from an in-group member and transitioning to feeling like an out-group member. I felt myself putting up walls and actually seeing myself and others in completely different roles. Now, this happened in a short period of time. And I teach people this stuff. I mean, this is what I talk about. I knew exactly what was going on. I was no longer focused on reaching some common goal. I was focused too much on what was being directed at me. Even though I knew what was happening, there was nothing I could do about it. And I've said this before, that high trust and shared group belonging leads to people being able to focus on threats from outside and not from within the organization. But this is exactly what happened to me, even though I knew it. Even though I provide this information to other people, I was not immune from the effects. It proved to me in no uncertain terms that in-group, out-group relationships can drive what people do and how effective our organizations actually are. So let's start by talking about how group behavior influences what we do and how we interact with each other. There are a bunch of social animals out there. Wolves, elephants, dolphins, and bees are just but a few. They all work together in groups, but they cannot transition quickly or be a part of multiple groups like we can. In my example, I transitioned very quickly from seeing others as an in-group member to out-group members. This changed how I behaved and what I was thinking about. It was a fairly negative mindset. It actually affected me, and it was not productive. This is why I constantly talk about appreciative inquiry and using positively focused approaches to organizational behavior. It really does get people working with each other. This positive view, this positive focus can get people beyond the name, blame, and shame game and to actually having a positive impact on the organization. Now, next week, we're going to talk more about appreciative inquiry because I really think it's a valuable way to look at systems, to look at organizations, and have this strength-based positive approach to behavior. So, the trust we have within our groups and with other groups may not necessarily mean that we share the same identity, but what it does mean is that we have trust between the different groups and that we can share a goal. The trust and care we have for each other is absolutely essential because we can focus on dangers that can come from outside. When the trust shifts and there is a lack of caring for others, this causes inefficiency 
and ineffectiveness. Now, I hope you can agree that having trust, a feeling of belonging, and caring for each other is a better path to reaching shared goals. If you want to get someone to help you reach a goal, it's best that they don't feel like they are being attacked. This will completely shift the discussion and will impact the chances of success. It will negatively affect cooperation and collaboration. So let's visit our old friends from the movie Office Space about how hard someone is willing to work when their only goal is to not get hassled. Slidell, this is my associate, Bob Porter. Hi, Bob. Bob, go ahead and grab a seat and join us for a minute. You see, what we're actually trying to do here is we're just, we're trying to get a feel for how people spend their day at work. So if you would, would you walk us through a typical day for you? Yeah. Great. Well, I generally come in at least 15 minutes late. Uh, I use the side door. That way Lumberg can't see me. <laughs> and, uh, and after that, I just sort of space out for about an hour. Until but, I'm Space out? Yeah. I just stare at my desk. But it looks like I'm working. I do that for uh, probably another hour after lunch, too. I'd say in a given week, I probably only do about 15 minutes of real, actual work. Uh, Peter, would you be a good sport and indulge us and just tell us a little more? Oh, yeah. Let me tell you something about TPS reports. Uh, the thing is, Bob, it's not that I'm lazy. It's that I just don't care. Don't, don't care? It's a problem of motivation, all right? Now, if I work my ass off and Inatech ships a few extra units, I don't see another dime. So where's the motivation? And here's something else, Bob. I have eight different bosses right now. I beg your pardon? Eight bosses. Eight? Eight, Bob. So that means that when I make a mistake, I have eight different people coming by to tell me about it. That's my only real motivation, is not to be hassled. That and the fear of losing my job. But you know, Bob, that'll only make someone work just hard enough not to get fired. Okay, so I know we have listened to that before, but there's just so much value in this one little clip that we can learn a lot of lessons from. So the lesson we learned before to the lesson we learned now. And in this clip, what I want to talk about is how Peter is only working hard enough not to get fired. He sees his managers, eight of them, as an outgroup. The problem here is that Peter is already so far down the road, he just doesn't care. I think this is a bit different than what we can expect from most people most of the time. In our organizations, I think most people want to do a good job. I know I do. I think most people don't want to make a mistake. I know I don't. We get to see a common problem in this clip, a common problem within organizations across the world where organizations become this negative, deficit-focused, problem-identification organization, where their mindset is one of just solving problems or that everything's a problem to be solved. They don't have a positive view. I mean, think about it. Peter makes one mistake, and he gets talked to by eight different people. No one ever transitions to something positive. No one creates a positive, future-focused view a way to build capacity so they can work together for the betterment of the organization. So what do we learn from that? What we learn is harping on a mistake with a negative focus puts us into a deficit view. It does it at the individual level. It does it at the team level. 
and it does it at the organizational level. And as you move up that chain, as you get broader, it might take a little more time, but you do it enough and it becomes your culture. So this is the fallback to many organizations. Someone makes a mistake. A team makes a mistake. We go out, we get our pound of flesh, and it makes it feel good, like we did something. But what we may have actually done is hurt the organization. This is how negative cultures develop. This is how we destroy relationships that could have led to positive collaboration. So now let's listen to this clip from the movie Miracle. In this clip, we are going to see the power of group behavior and the problems that develop with in-group, out-group relationships and how these things can get solved. Listen to this and then we'll talk about it. Well, how about it, boys? Look like hockey to you? More like a couple of monkeys trying to hump a football to me. I don't know. What do you think, Craig? Yes. You want to settle old scores, you're on the wrong team. We move forward starting right now. We start becoming a team right now. Skating. Passing. Flow. Creativity. That is what this team is all about, gentlemen. Not old rivalries. So, why don't we start with some introductions? You know, we'll get to know each other a little bit. Where are you from? Who you are? You know, go ahead. Rob McClanahan, St. Paul, Minnesota. Who you play for? For you, here at the U. Jack? Jack O'Callaghan, Charlestown, Mass, Boston University. You better think about something else, each and every one of you. When you pull on that jersey, you represent yourself and your teammates. And a name on the front is a hell of a lot more important than the one in the back. Get that through your head. Again. Win, lose, or tie, you're going to play like champions. Again! Oh. What? Uh, the rink manager, he, he wants to clean the ice and then go home. Well, tell him to leave me the keys, I'll lock up. Again! Again! You keep playing this way, you won't beat anybody who's even good, let alone great. You want to make this team and you better start playing at a level that's going to force me to keep you here. Again. Hey, we're getting out of here. <laughs> hey, where are you going? Back on the line. Again. Send them. Again. How about it, Silky? You're going to be the first one to quit on me? How about you, OC? You ready to go down? Well, I think I got my money on you, Vercota. Of course, you got a hot date in about an hour, but you're not looking too good for that right about now, are you? Send them. Again. This cannot be a team of common men. Because common men go nowhere. You have to be uncommon. Again. Herb, this has gone on long enough. Everybody on that line. Somebody's going to get hurt. 
again. Again. Herb. Come on, Craig, go to work. Again. Michael Ruzioni! Went through Massachusetts! Who do you play for? I play for the United States of America! That's all, gentlemen. So again, in that clip, we see the power of group behavior and of in-group and out-group relationships. Through the first part of the movie, the guys are trying out for the team. They said who they were and who they played for. They had always said their name, where they were from, and the college they played for. And you can see in the beginning how that caused conflict. It was an in-group, out-group relationship. The same thing can happen in our organizations. With in-groups and out-groups, there can be a lot of conflict. And that conflict feels normal to the people because of the roles they're playing. Now in the clip, we see the coach first focused on their mistake. But then he begins to transition what he is saying. He is transforming what is being said from us versus them, from you versus me, into we, into a team. He's creating a vision for them so they can work together. He's not focused on their mistakes. He's now focused on what can be. If they work together, we see that even though the groups are different, even though they're in a terrible situation that has to be dealt with, they deal with it as a group. They deal with it because they aren't treating each other as enemies, but as allies. These types of interactions happen daily. How we categorize ourselves and the people we are dealing with at the time will impact how we behave, what we do, what we focus on, and how we feel. Are we focused on solving a common goal? Are we focused on reaching that goal? Or are we just focused on getting out of the situation? Are we just focused on problems to be solved? Or are we focused on the positive capacities that can be built? I would feel fairly confident saying that in many organizations, people are focused on deficits, focused on problems, focused on the negative. This creates in-groups and out-groups that are based in conflict and not in cooperation. Conflict and not collaboration. Communication breaks down. I can tell you, even though I know what is happening and how it is happening, when it happens to me, it still has this effect. I can't just ignore it. This stuff works because we are all human beings, and human beings are driven in common ways. So even though I know it affects me, The benefit is I can use that knowledge so that I don't do that to others. You can use the knowledge so that you can create capacity. You can create a cooperative capacity. You can create opportunities to build collaborative capacity. So how do we do that? How can we impact groups so that they are more likely to collaborate instead of blaming and shaming the other group? I'm going to give you three tips to help deal with these types of situations. The first tip is understanding that there is power involved when dealing with separate groups. If power is viewed as trying to bring harm to the other group, or even just using power to influence one group over another, it will be tough to build a collaborative environment. If power is viewed as being used on behalf of others, especially those out-groups, 
there can actually be a shift in how people see the groups they belong to and how they're categorized. So it's not actually a shift in power, but it's a shift in how people are categorizing themselves. This view of power can help shift people from the defensive to an offensive role, where they see themselves working toward a common goal. The second tip, we need to understand that in-groups and out-groups have relationships that lean people toward certain behaviors. Distinct groups are prone to favoring in-groups and being derogatory toward out-groups. This is the baseline setting. It's what happened to me. There are baseline behaviors and communication that happens that is derogatory in nature. There was a baseline behavior and communication toward me that was derogatory. Once I saw that, once I recognized it and happened quick, I transitioned quickly to feeling like an outgroup member. I no longer saw myself as sharing an identity with the large organization, but I saw some of the people in the room and myself as part of two distinctly separate groups. At that point, my thoughts changed, and my baseline also became in-group favoritism and derogatory thinking toward the other group. It shut me down. The benefit to knowing what was happening was I was able to just keep my mouth shut and accept everything. It was the best decision I could make. I knew what was happening, and I knew what I said wouldn't make a difference, because what was driving each group at the time was what role was salient to them at the time, what was important to them at the time. So to avoid this, we need to be conscious of the fact that we will lean toward favoriting the group we feel like we belong to. And we will also lean toward being derogatory toward groups we see as outgroups. We then need to start thinking of the other group not as an outgroup, not as an enemy, but categorize them and us into one group. What happens is this will change the conversation. It will change how you think about the other people. It will change the entire situation. This can only help because it will change your feelings, which will change the words that are said and the nonverbal communication. This leads to the final tip I have, which is the concept of a superordinate identity. If we're trying to negotiate with another group, negotiation only truly occurs when we have and acknowledge a superordinate identity. If our groups remain separated, we might have some indications of negotiation, but it really is just two groups battling it out, and in reality, no one wins. The organization will suffer. It will suffer because the best decision is hard to make. Relationships will be strained and trust will be lost. So we really want to try and acknowledge that a superordinate identity exists where separate groups can categorize themselves as being part of the same team. This will allow true negotiation to occur. And that negotiation will benefit both groups. That way, the groups maintain esteem. And this helps the organization because the next time they need to work together, that superordinate identity will be more salient. It will be more important, which will lead to a greater capacity to work together instead of just finding problems with each other. Do you want to just win a battle or do you want to win the war? You've got to think long term on all of this because as time goes on, this builds trust and motivation across the entire organization. You can actually shift cultures. So I hope this gave you some good information. I mean, I fell into this trap just like everybody else. I knew it was happening. I felt it happening. And there was nothing I could do about it. 
and I teach this stuff. And we talk about this stuff all the time, but it works because we're all human beings and we can all fall victim to this kind of treatment. But if we change our view to one of where we can share an identity, to one of actually trying to build collaborative capacity, from the negative view to a positive view, from deficit view to capacity building, we can have a positive impact on others, on our organization, on our communities. Thank you very much for listening. If you get a chance, please visit my website, www.crucialtalks.com. That's www.crucialtalks.com. I'd love to connect with you. Come speak to your organization, talk with you on the phone, exchange emails, whatever it is you need that can help you. Also, please connect with me on LinkedIn, Facebook, or Twitter. I'm constantly putting out some content. I'm trying to do more of that so that you have a valuable place to go to actually gain information instead of just the podcast. Please go to the CrucialTalks.com website, sign up for a membership, and you'll get free access to a lot of different things. Again, I'm always here to talk. I'm always here for you. Reach out to me and let's connect. Thank you again. And remember, if we want to understand behavior, we need to understand what drives people.